podcast, New City is a church in Bath, Maine, that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching the first part of a three-part sermon series called Identify Yourself, and the sermon title is Identify Yourself in the Name of the Father. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Let me give you a little bit of a direction of where we're going. We are not in the middle of a book study right now. We don't normally go through books of the Bible, but it's been a bit um, since we've, we finished Daniel, and then we did Titus and Philemon. And now we're going to jump into uh, a short three-part series that's going to take us to Advent. Believe it or not, Advent is right around the corner, and then we'll, that'll take us all the way through November into, or November and December into, into Christmas. And then in the new year, we'll jump back into a book again. I'm not sure where we're going yet. This series... Um, is surrounding our identity statement. Many of you know what that is. You already have, you've, you've heard of it at our Next Steps class, or you've been around New City enough where when I say the New City Church identity statement, you, you kind of already know what that is. Um, if you don't, hopefully after today and after these next three ser- uh, sermons, you'll, you'll see the, the benefit of memorizing that statement and making it kind of a part of your life. So um, let's pray. And then I'm going to give sort of an introduction to the whole series, then we'll get into uh, today's, sort of this, today's topic, and we'll get into all kinds of scriptures, and I pray it's a blessing. Let's, let's ask the Lord to be with us now. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for your, your people, and thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming into the world, this dark and sinful world, coming to be the light, to be the light of of men, to show us the way to salvation, the way to rightness and reconciliation with God the Father. Thank you for the truth today, and I pray that today we would celebrate, God, as, as a way of celebrating and giving reverence to your word, God, that our minds would be focused only on your word. There's always the temptation to be distracted by the people next to us or the thing that's coming tomorrow or the thoughts that are going on in our head for whatever reason. But Lord, I pray that we would be focused today on your word and that you would speak to your church, Lord, and give us uh, just a further, a further footing and foundation. Remind us of our mission. Remind us of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Lord, we look to you because you are worthy You're worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be worshiped at all times. God, I pray that you would rescue and redeem souls. God, that you would encourage Christians, that you would be glorified. Thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the identity statement of New City Church is, we are a family of servant missionaries. It's actually not that hard to memorize, (laughs) so um, you should all be able to handle that. We are a family of servant missionaries, and the reason we have an identity statement is because when you know who you are, when we know who we are, then you do not have to fret trying to be something that you're not. There's a lot of fretting and worry that goes on in our world. Even in your own lives, you try to do or be something that you weren't ever intended to be. And so we have an identity, and we're going to get into this, into the scriptures of how our identity is built and rooted in 
God and in the scriptures and the gospel of Christ, and that we'll, we'll get to that. But all people, Christian and non-Christian, share a common identity created as people in the image of God. I think that's a great place to start. That as, a, as a common thread going throughout all of creation, believer or non-believer, wherever you stand as a person as you come into this room, whatever your belief is, we have a commonality about us, and that is we are created in the image of God. Now that alone is a grace from God, that you were created in his image. It means, it, it means something to be human. Isn't that cool? It means something. And where the rest, a lot of the world doesn't believe it really means anything, you have to create what that means, make your own identity. But just being human, created in the image of God, is so valuable. It means something. The human identity is good, and it is right, because God made us. But there is a problem. There is a problem. And the problem is that sin came into the world and sin marred that image. Sin made a mess out of the image bearer, the person, the people, the male and female created in the image of God. It was marred by sin. Sin came into the world and messed everything up. Now God himself, who we are imaging, so God is not marred. Now, it, it, he is still perfect. He is still holy. The image bearers were affected by this. God created people to show his glory to all creation through created people and to fill the earth with his praise. But sin makes that difficult now. We don't see as a holistic sense people all coming together to show forth the glory of God. We have some, we have Christians who are showing forth purposefully to give glory to God our maker. Then you have God because he is sovereign. He still gets the glory even from those who seek to mar his image, his glory. God still gets the glory. But then you have those that are seeking and purposefully seeking to oppress and suppress the truth. Born into a sinful world and with a sin nature, though still image bearers, People are not born a part of God's family. This is beginning to get into the reason why our identity statement makes a real difference, why it matters. People are not born a part of God's family. That's pretty interesting because God does have a family. Almighty, holy God has a family. And people are not born into this world a part of that family. That's a problem. That's a problem. And not everybody believes that, but that is what Scripture teaches. So maybe you've come into this room with a worldview that says all people are God's children. That is not scriptural. That is not biblical. There are people who are God's children, but there is a way that that happens, and we are going to see that today. People are not able to see other humans as God sees them when we are outside of his family. And people live on a mission, not for God's glory, but for the glory of self, when we're not part of his family. Most people have an innate sense of their brokenness, so what we largely see in every community, including our own and every culture on earth, is some attempt to fix what is broken by creating our own identity. Everybody sees that there's a problem. 
most people will admit that they see there's a problem with humanity. There's a problem with the world in which we were placed. There's a problem with humanity. There's a, there's a sin issue. Though they might not say it's a sin issue, they might say brokenness. You can ask the common man, the common woman, is the world broken? Yes, it's broken. We as Christians would say it is called sin. Sin is what broke the world. That's why we are in a broken Stay in need of remedy, in, in need of redemption, in need of rescue, in need of all sorts of things outside of God's family. So we see that there is a, an attempt by broken people to fix this by creating their own identity. And there is no end to what people might do in order to create that. And we witness this all the time. You are connected, and perhaps even here today, as a person who has attempted to fix what was broken by doing something yourself, creating yourself an identity by doing something, reaching for something, filling your life with something, trying to achieve something to create an identity, and it never has ever worked. It's never going to fix the problem. So we see education costs are... So high through the roof because people are seeking to find who they are in their knowledge. If I could just gain more knowledge. I mean, just think about the pursuit of education, right? What's the purpose of it? Why would people even think about spending the amount of money that they do on their education? Except to find some identity. Now, from time to time, you'll find somebody who is in honest pursuit of an actual career, but for the, for the most part, it's an aimless pursuit of just wanting more knowledge so I can be more knowledgeable. And I just think about the brokenness. Think about how, how, how sad that is, how sad that is to pursue knowledge for the sake of knowledge. We see careers and hobbies overtake people's lives because if they cannot accomplish something great, then who are they? You ever heard that before? Somebody say, who am I if I'm not this? If I can't do this, if I can't, uh, whatever it is, golf every day, if I, if I can't paint, if I can't play music, you ever said that? You ever heard that? If I can't play music, if I can't play sports, if I can't be a football player, then who am I? And you fill that in with anything. That's an identity crisis. So we, pe- we see people fighting for status, social status, political status, economical status because of the desire to be noticed and to be praised, ultimately because of an identity issue. Who are you? Who are you made to be? Who are we? People want to experience great things and go great places, be perfect parents. Ever been trapped in that? That your identity is in being not just a parent who God's made you to be, but being in a, a perfect parent. To be everything a parent is supposed to be. So you're wrapped up in that. That if I'm not a parent, who am I? If I'm not a great parent, what's the purpose of life? That also is evidence of brokenness. I think about, specifically about children in sports, and this came to my mind. Think about what happens when children become wrapped up in a sport so that it becomes a part of their identity. And if they cannot play that sport, it ruins them. Parents, be careful. Parents, be careful that you don't push your kids into an identity crisis by making them achieve something that isn't Christ, isn't in Christ, something that Christ has accomplished that's far more serious than being a good athlete. 
And I just, I just see that. So I wanted to say that. And I want to just come. you need to be careful. And parents that are part of circle groups where you know parents are doing this, speak into their lives. Be bold. We push our kids into crisis by making them think they need to achieve this. And if they're not this, then they are nothing. So if you see that in your kids, step back a little bit and, and maybe remind them who they actually are and that they are absolutely valued. They have purpose because who they are as a created being. See, a lot of these things are actually good things, good in, in and of themselves, can be done to the glory of God. These things can be done to the glory of God. Career, knowledge, sports, you can do these things to the glory of God. But without the gospel, all they are is attempts to do what only God can do. So we find out we're not as smart as we thought we were, as good or as talented as we thought we were. The experience that we tried to go about wasn't enough, whether it's go hike uh, the highest mountain, and you're like, you do it, and you're like, well, wait a minute, life is still empty, because that was my goal instead of Christ. Whatever experience you think you need to do and fulfill in your life, you will find out that that is not enough. Or the people that once praised you have moved on to something better. That's a problem. When our identity is wrapped up in praise, at some point you're going to find out that the people that were praising you found somebody better than you. And because your identity was wrapped up in that, you will plummet into depression. So, if we can say, I'll just set the stage and then we're going to jump into the scripture. If I can't do blank, or if I can't have blank, then I don't know who I am. Just Know this, that's not who you were created to be. Whatever you would put in those blanks, if I can't be X, Y, Z, or if I can't have this, I don't know who I am. That is not who God created you to be. And until you make it your aim to live as you were created to live, you will not have a true meaning in your life. Thankfully, Scripture has the answer. So we're going to go way back to something we review often. Turn to Matthew 28, verse 18. And this is the great commission of Jesus Christ, and we are going to find in this a foundational truth about our identity. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20. The Lord Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Now, after I show you this, what's in this text, I hope you'll never forget this. But Jesus just gave, in this statement, the church... The entire church, past, present, future, he gave the church and every individual follower of Christ a key to knowing who they are, a key to their identity. And it comes right after his words where he says, baptizing them. If you look back in the text, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be able to understand why Jesus in this text, made baptism a central part of the church's 
mission. Because here it is, in the mission, he says, go and baptize new disciples. So follow along with me here in this. Why do we know, or what do we know, about New Testament baptism? Think about it. You have a knowledge of this. A lot of you guys have been walking with the Lord. What do we know about New Testament baptism? One thing we know is it's a symbolic display of death to the old nature of sin and resurrection to newness of life and a new nature or identity. It's death to the old nature. And because of the resurrection of Jesus coming up out of that water, when we witness somebody be baptized and they burst out of the water, why do we all clap? Why do we all praise? It should happen. And it's because it is an outward display of what we believe has happened to that person in their heart that through faith in Christ, they are a new person, brand new, new identity. So there's this celebration. I'm not who I once was, praise God, and now I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. That's worth celebrating. It's about identity. Baptism is rooted in this idea of new identity. Gone with the old identity, introduction of the new. Here's the new person. Romans 6, 4 will be on the screen. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see there in Romans 6 a pretty good summary of what Christian baptism is. A burying by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in new life. So that's the key. Walking in new life. A new person. A new identity. What else do we see? We also know that it's not something a Christian does later in their life with Christ, but as one of their very first acts as a follower of Jesus. Why is it that as a Christian mission, it is not that we bring people to faith in Christ, to, to trust in Jesus, then say, live out your whole life, let's see how you do, and then at the end, we'll baptize you. There's a reason why baptism is at the beginning. There's a reason why Jesus said, go into the world, make disciples, then baptize them. Right there. Do it at the beginning. We see this in Matthew 28, what we just read, but we also see, we also see it in Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where Peter is preaching his message, and there to the new, uh, there after being filled with the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has come upon the church, he says, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But repentance and baptism, repent and be baptized, turn to Christ and be baptized. Acts 2.41, so those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the whole point of that is to say this was belief, then baptism, And we believe that as believers, and specifically, we are, believe it or not, we are a Baptist church. What does it mean to be a Baptist church? Ultimately, God's Word is the authority, and we baptize believers. We baptize believers, because we believe that's what the Scripture teaches. One must be regenerated, born again, then baptized into this identity. So baptism is a believer's outward sign of their being dead to sin and alive to God with a new identity all by the inward saving work of Jesus Christ. 
And the fact that Christians are commanded to do this as new believers and not as babies before they can believe or later in life tells us something really incredible. See, the world wants to live their life to their fullest extent, doing all that they can in every way that they can, and at the end say, that's who I am. I am what I've done. I am what I've achieved. I am what I've accomplished. So the world's system is do everything you can, and at the end, hopefully, you've created enough identity that you can be satisfied. But what we find out is a perpetual, endless cycle of dissatisfaction, unable to produce your own, an identity that is worthy. And so that's why this is so crucial. God wants us to know who we are based on Christ's word and to live our lives based upon him, resting in him, secure in who he is and what he has done. So baptism, what is baptism? It's a naming ceremony. It's at the very beginning of your life. It's who you are. It's saying this is who that person is, a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is who you are. And so we see that in the Great Commission. So remember Abram, going back a little bit into the Old Testament, just a quick recap. Abram, he got the name what? What did God change his name to? Abraham. We see a name change, right? And this has happened with several people in God's history. Happened with Jacob. Jacob became Israel. But remember, Abram became Abraham, a name which means father of many nations. Did he receive the name before he became the father of many nations or after? Before. Before. He was given the identity of father of many nations long before he accomplished anything. See, God says, Abraham, this is who you are. This is who I'm going to make. This is what I'm making you to be. This is your identity. This is who you are in me. Long before he ever did the work. That was before he and Sarah had a son. God made the promise. He believed and then God renamed him in light of what he wanted him to do and how he wanted him to display the glory of God to the world. He gave him that name early on. And it's similar with us. We see the promise of Christ and that through Christ the nations will be discipled and the earth will be filled with his glory. We see that. And it will happen as he redeems people for himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue by the blood of the cross. We believe this. And we are baptized under a new name long before we ever accomplish any kingdom work. And I'm so glad for that. I'm glad that we don't have to come to our life, even in Christ, and then say, here, do the best you can. Do kingdom work on your own strength. Let's see how many people you can successfully lead to Jesus Christ. It's in your own strength. No, see... This is what Scripture teaches us, is that we are baptized in His name. It's His commission. He gives us His Spirit and His authority to do the work. And He says to go, and we have this name. And it's knowing this, knowing who we are in Christ, that catalyzes a life of faithfulness, not the other way around. Not to be faithful to Christ so that we can earn His name. But we be faithful to Him because He's given us a new identity in Him. Because of this, we are catalyzed to be faithful and persevere and to be holy and to serve others and to be on mission, not so that we can gain an identity, but so we can know who we are. So for the rest of this time, this was really just an introduction to the entire series, identity. This week, we're going to talk about one aspect of being baptized in the name of the Father, next week, the Son, and then the third week, the Spirit.
because that's the name we were given. Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that for the rest of our time, I want to give you a theology of the, of the Father's ministry to the church. The Father's ministry to the church. And then give some application in regards to the culture of New City and what we're called to do. So Jesus said, go into the world, make disciples, baptize them into the Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's hold on to these things. This is going to be, I pray, a, some beautiful truths that we can just rejoice in the Lord in. So the first thing, God the Father, who is he? What do we need to know this morning about the Father that tells us who we are as a people? Number one, God the Father is the eternal source of all things. God the Father is the eternal source of all things. That's what Scripture teaches us. One place, we, can't, we of course can't exhaustively look at all Scriptures. I would encourage you to take this as always and go home and, and dig deeper. But one text we can go to is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning of verse 5. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, For although they were, there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many little gods and many little lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. But look at verse 6. Like I said, yet for us there is one God, the Father. Do a study of the Father and you will be blessed. You will be blessed to see the Father's heart. Just let this be the beginning of a study that you go into further as disciples of Christ. But notice what Paul does in describing the difference between God the Son and God the Father, even in just that very text. Because he said that the Father is the one God from whom all are all things and for whom we exist. And then he goes on, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So here in this text, Jesus is the through, and the Father, what is he? The from in the text. The Father is the from, Jesus is through. All things come from the Father. That is something that God has self-designated about himself, that the Father should be thought of in this way. All things come from the Father. Even though as Christians we know we can say, all things come from God, Father, Son, and Spirit. When we look at Scripture, how Scripture reveals to us who God is, we, some, we see something specific about the ministry of the Father that helps us exalt in who He is. And to see that this is the heart of our Father in heaven. So the, the triune God we know is creator. God created the heavens and the earth. We, can, we cannot say that only the Father created and that Jesus did not create at all. We know that that's not true from Scripture. Or that the Spirit did not create. Or that they did not each imagine in their divine counsel what they would create. It's not like God was, the Father was like, I'm going to create something. And Jesus was like, what are you going to do? What are you going to make? You know, and there was no secrets. There, was, there is a cohesiveness, perfect authority, and oneness and unity. Right? We know that. This is the mystery. There's a mystery here. I'm not unpacking something completely so that you're all going to like, I understand the Trinity now. It's, it's very mysterious, but it is also very, very beautiful and glorious. Father, Son, and Spirit are one in essence, one in power and one in authority, but their distinction is in their self-proclaimed personalities, their ministries, and their roles in the plan of redemption. And what we see from the Father 
is that he is the divine source of all things. Just let that marinate for a moment. Where did everything come from? Everything. Now, don't try to make a, a, like a, a side statement. Well, yeah, everything except for this. Because there's, then there's this. Well, he got all things. He is the divine source of all things. And that is our Father, our Father in heaven. One important distinction is not only that all things come from the Father as the divine source of existence, but that number two, second point, God the Father is the eternal giver of the eternal Son. So all things come from Him, but in the plan of redemption, we see that God the Father is also a giver. He's not just the source of all things, but He intentionally gives. And we see so much throughout Scripture that what He is doing is He's giving in order to intentionally carry out His plan to redeem these sinful people, sinners, which were all of us with a broken identity, to redeem His people back to a relationship with Him. So He is the Father, he is divine source of all things. God the Father is the eternal giver of the eternal Son. This can be a confusing doctrine for sure, but so that it's as simple as possible, here's what I want you to understand today. There has never been a time when the Son of God has not been the Son of God, okay? That's, that's an important truth. Why? Because there are many people who believe that Jesus became the Son when he was born. When he was born on what we would celebrate as Christmas Day, that he, or at his baptism. that When, he was, when he would, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he went into the wilderness, that's where he began sonship. Now, there are, there are Christians within Orthodox Christianity that believe on both sides of this aisle. This isn't, I wouldn't say, a damnable doctrine. They don't believe that Jesus was created, but they are confused on when he became Son. I believe in eternal sonship. I believe the Scripture teaches that he was eternally the Son of God, and I think that Scripture makes that case, and we're going to look at at least one of those today. But there's never been a time when the Son has not been the Son, and the Father not the Father, in relationship to one another. That's something that's a mystery, but also important to remember God, who He is. See, what is Scripture for? What are we trying to learn when we look to Scripture? We're trying to learn who God is, not who do we want Him to be. He is the eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Father has always existed in relationship with God the Son and God the Spirit. There's always been that relationship. This is called the doctrine of eternal sonship, and I believe this is what Scripture teaches. The plan of redemption is eternal and precise, not gradually developing or knee-jerk. And I would say that that would be more of a knee-jerk reaction, that God would become, that the, the Son would be, excuse me, that Jesus would become the Son of God at His birth as a response to something rather than an eternal plan that the Son has always been the Son, always knowing the plan of redemption would be to redeem the world through His sacrifice. Always knowing. Forever. For eternity. If the Son came into the world, then He was the Son before the world began. He was the Son of God before the world began. John 17, 1 through 5. Look, let's turn there and take a look at this. This is Jesus praying to his Father, the Son of God in human flesh on earth before his crucifixion, praying to his Father. Listen to the sweetness of these words that he says to God the Father. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory, notice this, that I had with you before the world existed. First of all, notice how much we see the word give and the word sent in that text. Just take a glance and look over the text again. See how much it comes up. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him. He's the source. The father is the source. Even giving the son in his earthly ministry authority. Even in an eternal sense that the father has always given the son for eternity, given the Son that place in the Godhead of the one who would glorify the Father and the one that the whole world would look to, the one that when he's lifted on the cross, we would look to him. This has always been God's plan to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, even those that Jesus would save were given to Christ. By who? The Father. The Father, this eternal source, this eternal giver. Now this is... The, the ministry of the Father in a unique and special way. But Jesus recalls while on earth a glory that he knew and shared with his Father in eternity. Did you, did you notice that? He, he recalls and rejoices in and longs for that to return. That he would be with the Father as it was before the world was made. Isn't that an awesome thing? This is the ministry of the Father. He's a giver, and he's a father to Christ. He's a father to Christ. And in that relationship, the father loves the son. And we cannot exclude the spirit because it is the very conversation that, that answer many, many questions of ours. All this idea of who, what was the relationship that the father had with the son and the son with the spirit before the world was made. But as we look at this and we see the Father's ministry to give and the Father as the source of all things and what he gave to Christ, a people to save, a people for his own glory. And then we look and we say, well, what does all this mean? The question often comes, did God create us because he was lonely? Did God create us? Did God create humanity? Did God create the world because he was lonely? And this very doctrine, what we're looking at, is the answer to the fact that God was never lonely. He has always been in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, for eternity, a perfect community, perfect love, perfect authority, perfect submission, always for eternity. That's who Scripture reveals God to us as. Now, what did God do for all eternity? How are we to understand community and relationship, even as people on earth in this broken world? And all of this becomes beautifully clear in light of the Father who loved the Son from all eternity, and the Son who loved the Father, and the Spirit who has rejoiced or enjoyed the Son and the Father, eternally existing as one self-sustaining, all-sufficient God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we also see something incredible and intentional about the Father, and this takes us to the third point, that the Father is Redeemer. He's not only the eternal source of all things, and He's not only the divine giver of all things that are good, namely the Son, 
the giver of the Son to the world, but he's also Redeemer. We think of Jesus as, as Redeemer, I think, most often. Jesus, the Son of God, the Redeemer. But the Old Testament tells us that the Father is also Redeemer. So I think it's, per, it's important for us to see that. He gives in order to redeem a people for himself through the Son. Jesus, no doubt being the Redeemer, as many of us think, he was the payment that brought our redemption and bought it. He was the one. But the Father sent the Son, and the Father draws sinners to the Son, so that work of the Father is certainly one of Redeemer. Look at Isaiah 63, verse 16. Awesome text about the Father in the Old Testament prior to Christ even coming into the world. Isaiah 63, 16 says, For you are our Father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. This is Israel speaking of the Father. This is Isaiah, the prophet of God, speaking of the Father. It calls him the Redeemer from of old. And then John 3.16, a very famous text. What does this look like for us? Now that we know what we're, we're kind of been ruminating a little bit on the Father's ministry and what he does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So who's giving the son? It's the Father. It's God the Father who gives the son. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but, that in, order, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the work of the Father. Are we seeing this, church? You guys seeing this? It's a, is it confusing or is it a blessing? I, I really want to know. If you said confusing, I'd be like, oh, crap. But thankfully, you guys said blessing, so <laughs> praise God. So this is a blessing because this is who God is. This is who he is, and this is the ministry of the Father. So he is a loving father. He is a giving father. He is an intentional father and a redeeming father. And it is in this that we see our true identity come into view. We begin to see it come into view. What was he redeeming? What was God redeeming? What was the father redeeming? But a people who had fallen from his grace and lost their way, had fallen and were lost. We were those people who sought every means and if this isn't your past, then you can say this. I was that person that sought by every means to create an identity for myself. Whether that be through a, a searching out a substance or a relationship or an achievement or knowledge or an education or career, you were that person. We were those people who sought in every way to fulfill what only God could fulfill and so find our identity in external circumstances. To look from without to find out who we are. To look out there and look at what can we accomplish. What is it that I can get and grab and achieve in order to make myself be who I want to be? And one very base understanding of our identity through the work of Jesus is found in the Father. All of this culminating to finding out who we are through faith in Christ. Guess what? The Father of Jesus becomes our Father. That's the whole point of all of this. Through faith in Christ, his Father, the Father that he, that he rejoiced in, the Father that he, he spent eternity with, the Father that glorified him and that he would glorify in his death, burial, and resurrection, that Father becomes our Father. 
That means you as a, as a small little human being, right? I think it's okay to say that. Don't, don't follow the world. The world wants to say, no, you're, you are extremely significant in who you are in the world that you create. Our significance is only in God. It's only in that we have an identity in Christ through our Creator. But to just be able to admit and say, I, I am a small human being on the grand scale of all these things, I'm small But Jesus Christ gave me access to his Father. The oneness the Father and the Son share is the oneness that we share with the Father. That's miraculous. How is that even possible? It's not something any of us could attain. You can't make that happen. But it's the one thing that every human being needs is to be connected to their creator. It's to worship their creator, to know their creator. And you can't know your creator outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through Christ, we get full access. By looking at the nature of the Father and our access to him through Christ, we understand something amazing about sharing. The Father shares with us the Son as a gift of grace. Here's my Son, I love the world so much that I gave my son that he might be the one who redeems his people. He's given us his son. And through that grace, we experience the heart of a perfect and loving father who does not turn us away, but draws us in the way a father really should. Now, this is a place where this could hit some sore spots in people. I've heard my entire life, be careful when you preach about God the Father because not everybody in this world has had a good father. I say that's all the more reason to preach about God the Father because he's the one true father. He is the father that many of you never had. He's the father that you wish you had. He's the father that you never had. He is the perfect heavenly father. Our worldly brokenness is not an excuse to not go to the one perfect father. It should be evidence of the fact that you need him. And whatever the case was with our fathers or however much they succeeded or failed, they are not the test of who our Father in heaven is. You want to know who points us to our Father in heaven? Jesus Christ. So you don't look to your example of a father or even how you are as a father to understand the perfect heavenly father. You look to Jesus Christ because the scripture says if you've seen him, you've seen the father. What is the Father like? He's like Christ. And so we see this unity and a union between them, but then also a perfect distinction that helps us to understand relationship and sharing. So we experience that perfect love of the Father. Knowing all of this, we can really answer the question, who are we? We can begin to answer that question. Who are you as an individual follower of Christ? And then who are we as a church? In an individual sense, you can say, I am a son or daughter of God because the Father has adopted me as his own. That's the individual sense. Who are you? Who are you as a a person, as as a follower of Christ? You are a son or daughter of God. There's nothing better than that. That's the beginning, guys. That's their identity. What, What does a day look like when you really believe that you are a son or daughter of God? How often we just look at other things and we 
grasp for other identities on a daily basis. We wake up and bills are piling up or whatever's happening or you're, you know, something's gone wrong in your house or our relationships are broken and we don't look to our Father who has made us heirs with Christ and sons and daughters of God. We don't look to Him as the supreme source of all things. We begin to look to ourselves. We look to other things, other sources, other ways to fulfill when all along our identity is right here. We are a son or daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that word that I mentioned is very purposeful, adopted as his own. Adopted. Adoption, you guys, is part of the gospel story. It's so linked, and Scripture speaks of it. So we can't overlook it as part of this message. How do we become part of that family? How do we get access to the Father through Jesus Christ? Well, Ephesians 1, 4, and then Romans 8, 15. So Ephesians 1, 4, Romans 8, 15. First one says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Adoption. And then Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I'm trying to wrap this up. It's been a longer service, but please, I think this is important, so just listen. Church, In Christ, you are adopted, beloved, accepted, sons and daughters of God, heirs of Jesus Christ, heirs with him. But the truth is, you cannot claim these things as an individual alone. You can't claim these as, it's never meant to be claimed as an individualistic religion, because if we were to be identified through baptism in the name of the Father, there is a crucial thing that this says about us. We are a family. If we have the same Father through Jesus, if the person next to you has put their faith in Christ, then you share the same Father. And that does something. It does something to people. It does something to a community. Do you feel the love at New City Church sometimes? You feel it? You sense it? The closeness? The family nature? It's because of Jesus Christ and His giving us access to the same Father. We are a family. It's not just a fun little saying that we use around here. Hey, we're like a family. No, no, we are a family. It is our identity. Family. We have one father, and because of that, we are brothers and sisters together. That's also not just some cute thing that anybody in the world can say. I get it. People have wrote the songs. We are the world. Yes, I get it. We are the people. I get it, right? There is a sense of our connectedness because we are image bearers of God. But outside of Christ... A person is actually severed from the Father. It is only through Christ, through faith in Christ, that you get access to the Father, and then you are brothers and sisters with everyone whom Christ has redeemed for his glory. And that, is, that means something. Our identity as family is rooted in the gospel. The Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, and our access through faith in the cross of excuse me, of Christ. This is the truth that shapes us as a church. This is why we say we are a family of servant missionaries and why we believe in the absolute necessity of fellowship. You see how all of this theology, this doctrine of the study of the Father trickles down and helps us to see why is it important that we come together? 
Why is it important that we be a family? Because this is who we are. It actually shouldn't be optional. Christians who look for options to not be around the church, I would question the, the, the validity, the, the, the actual power of God in your life. Because when you've come to Christ and you access the Father, you see everybody differently. You see everybody differently. You see them as family. So we see the necessity of fellowship and the necessity of sharing and compassion and giving to one another and bearing with one another day in and day out, not only on Sundays, and which is why we harp on that so much here. You can't be a Christian and just be in fellowship on Sundays. Don't like how that sounds? Just go to the scriptures. It is the conviction, this conviction that grounds us in the gospel community Reminds us over and over again that we need Jesus Christ, and even when we have nothing else, we have the love of the Father. So there's one more reality that this is just going to wrap it up in, in the, with this, it, just to give us some, some mission to go forward with. This is what I want you guys to grab onto now. All of that theology, it's beautiful. Hold on to that. Believe it. Believe who God is. Believe who the Father is. Love his nature. Be appreciative for what he's done. But think about this. There are millions of people who are far from God today. Millions, potentially billions, who are far from God today. You could be in this room next to a Christian and be far from God. Far from God. There are millions that do not know the Father's love. In this town, in your neighborhoods, at your workplaces, think about this. Every hater of God, every rejecter of Christ, every slave to sin and worshiper of false gods, what are they? Orphans. If we could think about this in this way, I think this will affect our mission. Because what is an orphan? Somebody without loving parents. Somebody that has been cut off in some way or another. There's a story with every orphan, right? I know this from my own experience, but there's so many stories. Every story is different. But what is an orphan? For some reason or another, they've been cut off. And they do not have loving parents. And they do not have a father. So when we think of that spiritual state of people as orphans, and then we think and know that when a person is an orphan long enough, they begin to get used to their surroundings... That's one thing that you learn about orphans when you study these things and you look at, into adoption and our need in our world. Orphans become so entrenched in their current environment, as, as horrible as it might be, they begin to attach it to it and love it. And they don't even know how to change. Even unhealthy surroundings, not even expecting love to ever come because their entire life has been false love, failures, never expecting love to come or for life to change, unsure of what unconditional love even looks like because they've been an orphan so long. So church, think about this in terms of all that we're talking about, the Father, access to the Father, and people in our lives that are far from God, we want them to be close to God, do we not? We want people to have a Father in heaven, to have access to the Father, and we have been given the way to do that, and that is to preach the gospel. And that is to bring Christ, who is the access point to the Father, and to bring him to every person that we can 
and, and, and ask the Lord, God, speak through me. Give me this message. Help me to love people and to tell them about Jesus Christ. So what we have as a family cannot be kept to ourselves. We are a family, but we shouldn't keep this to ourselves. We need to tell others about the love of the Father and the hope of forgiveness through Jesus and the plan of the Father to make spiritual orphans into sons and daughters that are part of a family that will last forever. That's ultimately what people need, is it not? To know the Father and to have access to Him forever be a son or daughter of God. When you think about your identity as a Christian, remember that you were baptized in the name of the Father, and let's not neglect to take for granted, neglect or take for granted the family privileges that we now enjoy, the family privileges that we now have because of his grace, and let's remember to be continually going to the Father who is the eternal source of all things going to the Father who is the gracious giver of good gifts and going to the Father who is our sovereign redeemer. Amen, church? All right, let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.